heaven was. My name is Tom McNabb, and the purpose of this podcast is to deploy the rich experience of coaches. There's no such thing that's better than the products, the fruits of experience. Those are the best possible fruits. And we'll bring to you a vast variety of knowledge covering a wide range of events. So I'm happy to introduce Gordon Adams, who took over from me as a national coach in the South. Uh, that would be 1978, Gordon, wasn't it? Correct, 78. And so what I wanted to start with, Gordon, what experience of athletics did you have within your curricular experience in phys ed secondary school? Basically, an introduction to it. Fortunately, it was emphasized from a competitive viewpoint. So we didn't go and sit down learning loads of rather boring drills without doing anything. It was kept very simple, very basic standing things, for example, in the throws. I had quite a good teacher, actually. He uh, emphasized fun and competition first and then linked it to skill, which I thought was quite a good approach. That's the route we've taken, really. Should have taken a long way back, one which I think we've probably lost. So you seem to have been very fortunate in the sense that you got a, a fairly reasonable curricular experience. Yes, I think I was compared to some. Obviously, once you introduce five star in schools, I was teaching. Yes. How far did that take you in terms of becoming a competitive athlete? I was very small and I wasn't able to get in many of the teams till later on. I didn't hit my six foot and hit 13 stone till I was about 16 or 17. I was very small, but the teacher knew I was fantastically keen and I tried everything. Believe it or not, I could out high jump most of them. So I started off doing that and the long and the triple jumps in school, then joined a club and went on to get to county level and above. What club did you join? Watford Harriers. They had um, no coaching whatsoever, but a certain amount of competition. And what was the, the age balance in Watford when you joined them in terms of how many senior athletes were there relative to 15 to 20 and under 15? Well, hordes of youngsters, young aspirants under 15, that tailed off a bit. A fair kernel of what I call wrinkled harriers. There was very few field events, people. There was only about four or five of us who did it. What period of years would we be in now? We're talking 58 through to about 65, 66. What was your first experience of being coached? It was actually in the Watford Harriers with a venerable coach whose name I won't mention. But really, he lost me because he was talking a lot of technical theory. I got the impression he'd learned it at night school. He was talking about angles of this and takeoff positions of that and uh, really lost me for a time. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Uh, well, yes, it sounds, uh, sounds quite recent experience. One of the big problems, I think, of the early period of coaching in this country was although Dyson was an extremely technically knowledgeable man, he was also very practical. And he, he realized he could know all this technical stuff and he'd be no good at all as a coach, necessarily. It would, there were qualities you required. You had to sort it out and, and put it in a form that a, yeah. a young man or a young woman could understand and, and, and apply. Agree. I met a chap called Alphonse Mack. I went on a young athlete's coaching course about 58 or 59, and he was straight on, and he improved my high jump by about three or four inches in that just that afternoon working with him. 
Uh, he was excellent. Yes, Alphonse Mack was Polish. Polish, yeah. He, he was actually a javelin coach. I think he had a good all-round knowledge. Very good. He was one of my staff coaches on our Olympic camps from about 1968 to about 70, 76, 77. He was a big asset. He had the ability to relate it to the lay person and put it in stuff I understood. Yeah. And that's what I liked. Yeah. What was your competitive experience in athletics? Because my knowledge of you was in triple jump rather than high jump. Well, I started off high jumping, but shifted across because I didn't grow that much. I hit, as I said, hit six foot about 18. But I found myself trying to do the straddle because I'd been taught the Western role. And I found that a little bit more difficult. But I found that triple and long jumping I was better at. So I worked at those and got to about 14 metres in the triple, as you know, six and a half metres plus in the long. I was county long and triple jump champion back in the mid-60s. Then I um, involved myself in a soccer match at a school level, and it put me out for nearly a year. It really hurt my leg, bad injury on my ankle. So after that, I really decided to move more in towards coaching. I played a bit of rugby as well, of course. I started coaching semi-seriously in about 1970, late 69, 70. Yeah. And I was fortunate to have a lad at a school near B called Simon Fittle, who showed a bit of talent and uh, coached him to win the English school's long jump under 15, although that much of that was natural ability on his part. And I went on from then working with long and triple jumpers and, as you know, became a staff coach. I remember physical education training again, as having virtually no positive impact of anything in any sport at all. Seemed to be divorced from what you faced with 35 kids in front of you. Well, it was. We again emphasised on how we were taught how to teach more or less individuals and how to teach events rather than people. I was very fortunate that Wilf Pache was an external lecturer and he came along on several occasions. He advised me to start coaching and doing some and he, he was excellent. But um, he related it, as you said, to the class situation of teaching and later on in the school situation, how to do teach more individual events. Whereas, as you said, the college situation was very divorced from the school. Yes, the strange thing was that the PE college set up never fully related to the practical problems which you face with a class of kids three or four times a week. Uh, I couldn't agree more. How do you teach I don't know, javelin to a class of 35 with, with, say, six javelins or something of that sort. It wasn't relevant enough. It wasn't objective training enough. And Wilf was, he and I were great friends. We tried to bumble and fumble our way through that because one of the big problems with the national coach was that we, were, we had left that context. Yes. And the best way to help others is to be having a good experience of yourself and continue to have that experience. We were coaching at, at national level. He was um, a brilliant coach, became, like yourself, a long-term friend. I think he could coach anything to anybody. I really do. Yes. I spoke at his funeral, and I said, I told him that one day I was speaking to Wilf, and Wilf said to me, look, I can coach anybody to put the shot in 30 seconds. Said, yeah. You're a bloody liar, Wilf. I've clocked you. It takes you fully 45 seconds to do it. <laughs> and, and everyone would bust out because he, that, he was the same as me. We're constantly looking at simple ways of getting people to do things and achieve some sort of success, even with very limited physical capacity. As long as it comes from a competitive 
background, though. It's got to be related to competition, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, and the, the main competitor you're up against is the one you face in your mirror. The aim is to be your own hero. I like that phrase, yeah. I just made that up last week. <laughs> what impact did formal coach education have upon you at that time, Gordon? Not a lot. Formal coach education really came in, in in the 70s when I became a national coach under Frank Dick. And it became yeah. a much more um, scientifically based. I questioned the relevance of some of it, but I certainly learned about the background of events more and the physiological and biomechanical background. I don't think there was enough emphasis on the practical. I think we had a problem as national coaches that we didn't have any leadership in terms of our senior coaches, the ones who had been left after Dyson, didn't really lead in any way. We all simply went about our own own business in our regions. This is where I agree with you. This is where I think where Frank was beneficial. He brought it together and had a member of staff, i.e. Carl Johnson, specifically doing the coach education side, linking with us, pushing out to the clubs and people like that. Athletics was the first uh, sport that initiated a uh, programme-made coach education syllabus, even though I didn't necessarily agree with all of it or the level it was pitched at. Take us through your own coaching experience as national coach, what you were learning and doing that period. I succeeded you in 78. And the first thing I did, and I'm going to mention Wilf, was went and had a weekend with him and a long chat he was excellent on throws and things like that. So I thought that was quite a good weekend grounding. And I wish there had been some form of in-service uh, training for national coaches because you suddenly thought on your feet, didn't you? Yes. you? You were the expert on anything. When Frank came in, I was asked to become director of junior development, which I quite enjoyed because it was linking with the junior teams. As director of junior development, I worked with the relay team for a one weekend and they broke the British junior record the next more the fruit of my own ignorance, but it was great. I also had a lad called Mark Whitby, you may remember, who um, was very good, actually could have been a good soccer player, but he pulled uh, Alan Pascoe's 200-metre hurdle record. I don't know whether he still got it or not. It might have been taken. And I also worked with the relay squad in the 4 by 4 at the um, LA Olympics. One thing about Frank, he fought for the coaches all to go to the Olympics, which was great. Ten national coaches of Olympic Games, I thought was a real achievement. After that, Calvin Giles moved to Australia and Frank asked me to link the endurance side of things. And I was working with people like Harry Wilson, Frank Hall and people like that, which was pretty good. After that, I um, helped Malcolm Arnold working in the long and triple before I decided to move out. You know, I became senior lecturer, principal lecturer at Carnegie. Yes, there was no structure to the training of national coaches in those days none at all none at all yeah i remember i had people ringing me up somebody seriously thought i was something to do with a coach firm oh. early on um i don't know where they got national coaching from and then i even had the greyhound racing people ringing me up asking about fitness for dogs which i knew nothing about of course oh, yeah. uh, all right, you, <laughs> interval training for dogs and horses. Oh, well, <laughs> no, 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 no you, got, you got me there. You got me there. But 1997 arrived, you know, the UKA set up, folded up, didn't it? And it was replaced. Yes. I don't think it benefited much. I think they lost something from the collective experience of the national coaches at the time, because who did you actually approach and who did you link with regionally? Strange sort of 
uh, hiatus or an abyss of uh, who's in charge of what in terms of the actual coaching qualifications yet yeah, initially we were had to teach everything to people coming in had to do a course on everything i remember speaking to somebody again with advice about things he said is it going to cost me a hell of a lot of money and it did it cost them a, a fortune to actually qualify and go on various courses then they had to have um booklets which um they had to fill in and it, it became very very time consuming and expensive really most people want to go in coaching i'm sure you tom if i'm a javelin throw a long jump i want to go in and coach that i don't don't necessarily want to coach everything do i no do you think there's a case for going back to that well in in what sense i mean in becoming an individual coach and specializing to a high level well no be employed by the national yeah. governing body to be a or maybe a team of coaches. You might have a coach who's concerned entirely with the development of the actual performer in a technical and training term. Another who might very well be part of that team who's concerned with producing opportunities for them to compete. Yes, a, a sort of a group approach to it. Yeah, covering all the aspects of it. I like that idea, yeah. In the South, we had a group of coaches under Charlie Mustu. You may remember Charlie Mustu, the flying squad. And they went round various parts of the um, the South to certain clubs doing some of the less popular events and, and putting on courses for coaches and athletes as well. That went down quite well. And um, I was several people and I was national coach and rang me up and asked, can some so come across? We were able to help in that way. Yes, I was never terribly happy just going to individual clubs. You spend hours, 150 miles on a car and, and you spend about three hours at the club and then and that was it. I couldn't agree more. I think the idea of having perhaps regional squads could be approached again and, and looked at, if you can get the money for it, appropriate coaches added to it. And what do you feel about the volume of people staying within the sport in terms of senior athletes? Well, again, there's a dropout, a colossal dropout. A lot of people have been, in my local area, have, have joined up the so-called park runs. They haven't really um, stayed on in clubs or even thought about joining clubs most of the runners the senior runners are fun runners in my local club and i think that's pretty national not sure whether it's cyclical or whether it just happens now and again really we should be developing the, these athletes from the mid-teens onwards and helping them to evolve upwards agreed rather than just creaming off whatever happens to arrive yeah. at the top big danger too is that it produces a sort of toxic atmosphere with the coach that is, he's coached a girl or a boy up to a national level, then suddenly finds that the, the athlete's taken away from them. One might call it legitimised poaching, almost. Uh, perhaps that's too big a, a phrase, a cruel phrase, but I agree with you on that. It's going to uh, get right up the nose of the coach if people are taken away. If a coach produces somebody who's getting towards world class, they do need help at that area, I'm sure, and they're all the support possible to make them a better coach rather than move the athlete to a centre of excellence or, or another coach, whatever you like. Yeah, I think that's coming through, and that will continue to come through from the coaches that we've already spoken to. And what do you feel has happened with athletics in schools over the last, well, certainly 30, 40 years? Uh, there was an article written a few years ago by somebody who influenced key stages, various things, the national curriculum, and it's now... Um, in schools level, certainly in primary schools, it's athletic activities rather than, than athletics. The competitive side isn't emphasised enough. It's sort of a group, uh, ideal world, 
approach to it. Let's all do this. Let's do that. And I've seen this reflected in young athletes' courses and various award schemes that I think aren't particularly relevant to coaching or young athletes. They're pushing for techniques rather than um, starting from the the competitive and moving through using that all the time to emphasize how it develops. I don't think it's improved much in school levels. I was fortunate at my grandchildren's school. I went to see their sports day and they did it on an Olympic basis. It was wonderful. They were split into continents, various medals and things of that sort. That's ideal. I thought it was terrific. It was competition emphasized. Every child I know and taught and loved the five-star award and they could relate to it and relate to their personal improvement. And so why do you think it was replaced? The five-star? I have no idea. It may be that people coming in wanted to put their own imprint on something. That's the impression I got. That's the feeling I get. And it was interesting, more recently, I discovered it was being done now in 27 different countries. Well, five-star? Yeah. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. I didn't realize that at all. Oh, you must be very pleased. I would be. I'm absolutely almost hysterical. The numbers doing it throughout the world must have come at some point close to about 400 million children a year. Brilliant. What would you do in the short term to improve what's happening in British athletics at the moment, Gordon? Difficult to answer. I would like to see more opportunities given to up-and-coming coaches to work with athletes of talent. And I would like to see powers that be link athletes who've got some potential with appropriate coaches, maybe outside of the screen. That's what I would like to see. One of the big problems of that is that the numbers of coaches we've got are so small. They're widely spread throughout the country. Yes. I think there are certain short-term things you can do which will make a positive impact. Two separate things. One is that a winter competition starting in, say, October of a county-based or or bi-county-based sports authority competitions. That would run right into March or April of the next year. Then in May, you would have a whole set of similar competitions, five-star based, where you got a certificate at the end of it. These are primitive things, and they can be easily done. Yeah. Well, we've got enough sports halls to enter, because I'm trying to think who initiated sports hall athletics. Was it George Bunner? George Bunner. Yeah. Best competitive setup in the world for children in winter. There's no doubt about that. If we could get that going again, that would have an immediate also possibility of bringing parents in. My daughter's a javelin thrower or wants to be a good runner and I'll help out, that sort of thing. People go in that way, don't they? Yeah, that sort of thing. In, in terms of performance, I would like to see a revision to a director of coaching, emphasis on individual coaches, given the incentive with jobs created, I'm sure there'd be money created, for them to reach higher levels to be able to have an opportunity to advance in the sport, more clarity, a vision of where actually we're going, and more focus on the competitive element. There's always a danger in uh, taking a, a negative approach. Things weren't perfect in the past. There's no point in saying that. They never were. They never will be. And uh, we've got to look at some of the things that we do well, which I think would be the, the holding events like the Olympics. Nobody's better than we are at that holding events and presenting them properly. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not overall pessimistic. I think you could make it a little bit more attractive for coaches to cut the cost it's going to. Yeah. 
what I would say to an aspirant coach. I would just say, you're coaching people and fit the activity to the child or person you're working with. That may sound trite and simple, but I'd say that.